0: friends, and a special welcome if you're joining us for the first time. We're in week two of a series that we've called Masterclass, and we're basing it on the insights of a man named James, who by all accounts lived a really incredible life. He was the baby brother of Jesus, right? So he grew up with Jesus. He watched Jesus grow up. And then after a couple of decades living in relative obscurity, he watched as Jesus stepped into history and began to teach and began to heal, began to draw crowds, and his family sort of watched at a distance. They weren't sure what was going on completely, and then Jesus began to say things like, he was the Son of God, the Messiah, and the Savior of the world. And there are sections in the New Testament where we get hints that the family really thought Jesus was a bit crazy. And so James watches, and then he remembers the day when Jesus was hung on a cross, and he believed, along with everyone else, that the impact of Jesus' life was over, That Friday when Jesus hung on a cross, no one thought anything or believed anything about Jesus. But then, in a short order, James becomes the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, the very city where Jesus hung on a cross, which raises a great question. What happened? What happened that took James from an unbeliever to a believer? That he believed that his brother was the Son of God, the Messiah, and the Savior of the world? Well, Jesus, what happened for James is what happened for everybody. Jesus came back from the grave. And in doing so, validated everything else that he ever said. And so James becomes a leader in the early church. And so with this series, we're going to chase down a really interesting question. We'll put it up on the screen. It goes like this. What would James tell us about our lives after the incredible lessons of his life? And James has been gone for thousands of years, but... Uh, fortunately for us, one of the letters that he wrote to young Christians made its way into the New Testament of your Bible. It is not so creatively titled James, if you'd like to read it for yourself, right? Uh, And and so what we're going to do for a few weeks this May is take a look at what it would be like to enroll in a life class led by James. In this letter, James talks about the incredible, powerful difference Jesus can make A life. So that's sort of the background for this series. Uh, for today, though, to get us going, I want to ask you a really interesting question, one which I believe you all have answers for. Check out this question. It goes like this. What do you believe you should do but aren't doing? Anybody got something right there? See what I mean? I mean, you believe that this is a better way, but you're just you're just not you're not doing it. And for some of us, I mean, we all have answers to this question, I would suspect. For some of us, our thing recently entered our life like we just became aware of something we came to believe it to be true we've done nothing with it Um, and it's sort of an active thought that we're carrying into today others of us would say our thing has been the same thing like for decades we are in a pattern of believing that we should do something we believe that god would have us do something we believe that our mama would have us do something right but we just haven't got around to doing it yet maybe for you you haven't actually been telling god no you've just been telling god later right i know this is a great idea i believe it's true Man, I'm going to get to it later, but if you're honest, like you started saying later during the Carter administration, you know what I mean. If you're a millennial, that was back in the '70s. So anyway, yeah. I mean, it, it, so it's it's interesting. We all have an answer to this question. We all have something that we know needs to change, but we haven't changed yet. And so, whatever your thing, what James writes today is going to be so powerful, and I believe specifically. A message for each one of us. Because James argues in our passage for today that there should be no gap between belief and action. There should be no gap between what we believe and what we do. He's going to argue that if you don't do something with what you believe, you may as well not believe it at all. It's that big a deal. A few of us have, have sort of even checked out of church because of what we've observed in other people that are trying to follow Jesus, or at least people who Attend church, right? I mean, we went to church for a long time, and we paid attention, and we took notes, and we maybe podcasted, and we learned a bunch of stuff. But but we started looking around, and it really didn't seem to make that much difference in our lives. And so maybe for you, you took some time away from church, and if that's you, and you're back because you have this nagging suspicion that there's more out there, welcome. We're so glad you're back, and we're so glad that you're taking steps with us. Uh, But but maybe for you, there was a time where you just said, "I don't think this thing works," and so you stepped away. Uh, Maybe for you, you grew up in a home where you were in church every time the doors were open. And when you were in church, you were to be smiling and you were to be wearing something that you would never wear outside of church. Anybody have this experience? You were looking good in church, right? But behind the scenes, there was like World War III in the minivan all the way to church, wasn't there? But then as soon as you pulled in the parking lot, as soon as dad or mom put the shifter in the park, there was a little conversation, wasn't there? Like we walked through that door... And all is well with the world. You're like, and you all look back and said in unison, it is well with my soul. And you went to church, right? That, that maybe was your experience. But then right after church, you get back in the minivan, and we're right back into World War III. And it's like, growing up, you caught this sense like there must be some sort of value in simply being in church. It doesn't seem to do anything for our lives, but, but we seem to think that if we're at least in church then life is, is going to go better. But at some point, maybe middle school or high school, you went, I, I don't know. Maybe there's something wrong with God or Jesus or church. Certainly not me. That would be terrible, right? But, but uh, we seem to be around all these great ideas, but it doesn't seem to be doing anything, doing anything in our lives. And uh, here's the thing. James, the brother of Jesus, would affirm your observations. He would say that there's no practical benefit to believing without doing. There's no practical benefit to believing something without doing something with it. Believing the right things won't help your marriage. Believing the right things won't help your relationships. Believing the right things won't help your finances. Believing the right things won't help you at work. It won't help you as a parent. Believing is, is good, but until you do something with what you believe, it really doesn't amount to much. So today we're going to explore a passage where James makes two incredible promises, He writes that if we do the things that we know we need to do, the things that our faith tells us to do, two things will happen. We will activate blessing in our lives that can't come any other way, and that God will use our doing or leverage our doing to heal and preserve and restore our souls, which sounds really, really good, right? So just so we're all on the same page, the Bible writes that you, Bible writers rather, teach that you have a soul. It's that part of you that lives forever somewhere. It's the intangible part right at the core of you that can get damaged by the tangible world. It's that center from which we experience things like true peace and true contentment, but it's also that part of us that gets injured as we navigate life and it can leave us angry, or envious, or jealous, or rageful. And so, if it's possible to heal the soul, that would be like to experience restoration at our very deepest level. And James writes that if you put feet to your faith, if you begin taking steps to do the things you know you should do, God will partner with you in the preservation, the healing, And the salvation of your soul. So let me show you what James actually writes to these young Christians. He begins the discussion with the following words. He writes, therefore, and again, he's writing to people who've said yes to Jesus. So therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. He's like, you're navigating life in a world that is constantly barraging you with things that are going to pull you in the wrong direction. So do some self-inventory and get those things out of your life. And he says, so that's what you're supposed to start with. And then he says, do this. Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save your souls. And what James is arguing here is that anyone who has spent any time around the teachings of Jesus, maybe you've been in church, maybe you've read your Bible, maybe you've read a devotional, maybe you've listened to a podcast, maybe you have a life coach or a mentor who's been speaking truth to you. He's like, it's as if... Some of what God wants for your life has been planted in your heart. It's in there. You know it. You may even believe it already, but he says what you need to do if you really want to begin to experience the the sort of life God has for you is you need to humbly accept the word planted in you, the word of God, those principles of life on how life is supposed to work. But notice what he says too. He says, humbly accept The word planted in you, which can save your souls. And we want to go time out. What what, what do you mean, James? Well, to be clear, he's not talking in this passage about going to heaven when you die. This is about life here and about life now. It's about preservation, it's about healing, and yes, even salvation in the here and now. And we see this as he continues. So in this verse, James gives us that image that describes us all that we have this truth in us that we need to acknowledge if we're going to access the benefits of the truth. And if we resist the truth that's in us, our soul pays the price. There's a sense that if we believe something and understand it to be true and we're not doing anything with it, we're arguing with God. We know we should, but we're not, or we know we shouldn't and we are. And if you're like most of us, at the same time, you understand it and aren't doing it, you're praying that God would do something to fix your situation in life. That relational situation, that financial situation, you're having this ongoing conversation. But if you're honest, at the same time you're asking God to move in your life, you're arguing with him about what you really want to do. And so James argues the change you want to see at the level of your soul, that healing of the pain And the changing of your circumstances is tied into your ability to accept and receive what you know to be true. And he argues that when you do, a partnership with God results that leads to the healing of your soul. The message your faith can actually transform your life right here and right now. There's a medical analogy as I was sort of thinking this through, and uh, as many of you know, I, I did go to medical school for like two weeks. So if you need anything, you got to, something you need to look at, I wouldn't recommend me. But anyway, there's a medical analogy that helps us understand this first. Um, after doctors do an organ transplant, the fact that we can do organ transplants is just stunning in itself. But just imagine with me, guy goes in, he needs a new something, a new lung, a new kidney, a new heart. And there's all the doctors and all the nurses they come around. it's an extensive surgery. Uh, and it's hours and hours of work, and eventually everything's sort of put back together, glued into place, stitched into place, and everybody steps away from the body, and then the body goes into the recovery room, right? And some of you have been in these rooms with friends or maybe yourself, and there's always this like tension because the new thing was placed in the body, and everybody gathers around because they want to know if the body will actually accept the new organ. If the new organ actually starts to function and do what it's supposed to do. And everybody holds their breath until that point because you can receive a new heart. But if your body rejects the new heart, then it really doesn't do you any good. And that's the very same image James is using with regards to the first idea that he presents us with. It's like he said, um, you know... The body can reject an organ. That's exactly what happens to many of us who pursue faith. We encounter truth that's planted in our lives, but then we don't do anything with it. We reject it. It's in us, but we don't allow it to have its full impact on us. And if that's you and that's me, and there's a sense that's all of us, James would argue that you and I are missing out. God wants to bring positive change in our lives, but he won't do it without our participation we can't do it without him and he won't do it without us so there's this sense when we don't receive the truth that's been planted in us we're arguing with God and we make excuses to delay obedience we say things like God I I know I know what you said I believe that that's true but God you don't know my husband which is kind of funny if you think about it, because he does know your husband better than we do, right? Yeah, that's how it goes. Or God, I mean, I know the truth. I know what I should do. But like the guys at work are going to tease me if I make that change that I know I need to make. They'd never understand. Or God, I, I know what you want me to do. But I mean, that's a lot of money, God. And, and so I don't know if, if that really, I mean, my situation is a little different. Or God, I, I know what you want me to do. But, but what they did to me, that was unforgivable, absolutely unforgivable. It would be scandalous if I were to forgive them after what they did to me. And and James clues us in on the fact that the healing of our souls is available, but in order to activate that potential, we need to receive the implanted truth. Now, I've, I've worked as a pastor now for 20 years, and the reason I'm so convinced of this is so many of our stories. I mean, I cannot tell you the number of times I'll meet with somebody and they're starting to track in their faith. And so they meet because they have questions and they want to share. And one of the things I always ask is like, what changed for you? Like you've been in church a long time and, and all of a sudden, like you're starting to grow and, you, and change and ask bigger questions and you've never done this before. And what, what changed for you? And they would say some version of this. Well, I, you know, I did. I grew up in church and I understood the truth and I said yes to Jesus and all that, but then I never really did anything with what, with what I knew to do. But then there was a day that I sort of drew a line in the sand. And I said, okay, if I'm really a person of faith, then I need to start living like a person of faith. And so not perfectly, but one step at a time, I started to make the changes that I knew that God would have me make. And they were awkward, and I didn't do it right, and I had to backtrack and try again. But I kept trying, and I kept moving. And the more my life aligned, my beliefs and my actions aligned, the, the more... I felt like I was healing, like literally at my core becoming the sort of person that God wants me to be. My soul is healing. At my core, I'm becoming a new person. And I think James would say in those situations, of course, when you receive the implanted word, God will leverage it to preserve, to heal, and to save your soul. But but there's more. As James continues... He reminds us that accepting the word is more than like an intellectual exercise, right? If we actually accept this, it's actually going to shift some behavior. Here's what he says in the next verse. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And here's what's so crazy. As I was reading this, I thought, James wrote these words 2,000 years ago and they still speak to us today. It's almost like he knows what we're like. As much as things have changed, some things stay the same. He knows that we think there's a religious value of simply hearing and receiving. And James says, no, no, no. If you want to heal at the level of your soul, you're actually going to have to do stuff. Don't just think because you heard it and were there, you've changed. You've got to apply what you've learned. To think you're going to get the benefits from simply knowing is deception. That's the language James uses. And see many of us were raised in a religious culture and picked up the toxic idea that if we showed up and went through a routine, maybe it was a confirmation process, maybe it was a, you know communion whatever whatever it was for you that God would bless us. It's like church attendance was like a good luck charm. It was a little magical, it was a little mystical. And I grew up thinking this too. It's like, I remember thinking, man, if there are so many car accidents that have to happen this week in our area or whatever, maybe if I go to church, it'll go to someone else and not to me. That was what I thought. I'm not proud of that, but that's what I thought. Yeah, it's not not great, right? Yeah. Uh, It had nothing to do with application. It was about being there and hearing. And James says, okay, you've deceived yourself. Hearing and receiving by itself won't help. Neither will taking notes or, or listening to a podcast again or having a discussion, in the end, nothing changes until you do something about it. Now, as James continues, he gives us a word picture that I think is absolutely hilarious, and, and I'll show you what I mean. Um, but he kind of shows us like how ridiculous it is to just hear things and believe it's going to change us. Uh, next verse, he says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and, it looking, and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Okay, that has never happened in the history of the world, and that's James' point. That's totally ridiculous just imagine with me this mirror like a mirror mirror on the wall mirror right with me on this yeah like yeah so James says it's like the person you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you gasp because you look horrific okay some of us have that experience every day right over here yeah right okay like oh my goodness but let's say in this particular day you glance in the mirror and there is a massive zit which has visited the top of your nose okay and you look at it and you stare at it long enough to just take in the horror that is your appearance right and after looking at this, James is like, you look at this, but you don't do anything. You just immediately walk away and go about your day. You do nothing about the need to change physically. And when he says they immediately forget um, what he looks like, he's saying like, you intentionally put it out of your mind. You do nothing with what you saw. You do nothing that you, with the thing that you know needs to change. And if we're honest, none of us would do that physically. But our physical appearance has little to do with the dysfunction of our souls. Not many of us look back in our past and think, boy, my my problems really started because of the way I looked. And our regrets don't begin. That morning, I looked bad and went out anyway, dot, dot, dot. And yet we prioritize our physical appearance, right? I mean, some of us have huge bags full of things that we use to tweak ourselves. Do we not, Right? creams and lotions and conditioners and brushes and razors and shaving cream and blow dryers. And we have all of this stuff that we use to make ourselves presentable. And so when we get up in the morning and we look at the magic mirror on the wall and we are horrified with what we see, we we stand there a while, don't we? In fact, I know how long you stand there. You stand there until it gets better. That's what I do, right? Sometimes I'm there a long time. But yeah, until it gets better or at least it gets presentable. We are doers when we look in the mirror before we go to work or before we come to church. And James notes that for most of us, we know what God wants to do in our lives. It's not an issue of knowing or even receiving. It's an issue of doing. And James asks a great question. Why would you know what you need to do and not do it? You'd never do that physically but with regards to your soul, you're negligent. So as he continues, he gives us a proper picture. He says this, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that brings freedom, and he's describing God's law. And I don't know, um, it's not normally a connection we make, but we don't think law leads to freedom. And James would say, okay, that's true with human laws a lot, but with regards to God's law, totally different. God's law will lead you into the healing of your soul. God's law will lead you into true freedom. This is the law that preserves the soul and can heal the soul. He says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it. And in the original language, a literal translation would be stoops down and focuses on it, right? Not just looking at the law and leaving, but lingering, considering, weighing what it looks like to apply it in your life. James says, uh, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. It's like people who linger and then do move into a whole new category of person, someone who actually will be blessed in their doing. As I was preparing for today, a word picture came to mind. As you know, I have four boys and uh, oldest is 11. So I have 11, 9, 7, and 5. And so it should surprise you not at all that our home is full of Legos. Do you have these Legos in your house? I sometimes feel like they came from the pit of hell. But anyway, uh, because when you step on one in the night, when you're going to eat a glass of water, it feels like torture. But anyway, uh, our house is absolutely full of Legos. And so what happens around birthdays and holidays is you will find my boys uh, all gathered around tables with small bowls with little plastic Lego pieces in them. And then these books that they give you To build a Lego, have you seen these books? Um, I actually had a friend who recently did uh, the most epic Lego thing ever, the Lego Millennium Falcon. Here's a screenshot from Amazon in case you're wondering. $800 and 7,541 pieces, right? You should see the book that this thing comes with because if you are going to make your creation look anything like the thing on the box, you're gonna need some help, right? And if you just say, oh no, I don't need the instructions like you're a normal guy, right? Um, but you just say, you know, put that away, and you just look at the box. Okay, friends, what you're going to end up with is not the Millennium Falcon, right? The Millennium Failure or something. It, it's not going to be what you thought it would be. And James is saying something similar with regards to your life. He's like, the God who designed you has given you some instructions for how to do life best. And so if you want to know what he wants, what you need to do is you need to continue to look at the perfect law that brings freedom. Hold your life up to it like a mirror. And you do it over and over and over again. It becomes a rhythm in your life. And when you do that, you hold it up, you realize what needs to be changed, and then you get around to the doing. One step at a time, knowing you're going to fail and knowing there's grace. But man, if your trajectory is moving in the direction of aligning your life with God's will for your life, you Will experience healing the life that you were designed to live. God has a part to play. You and I have a part to play. He loves you enough to let you choose. So if you turn this principle around, I think the truth of this passage becomes even more clear. If you think about it this way, um, aren't the greatest regrets that you hold the result of doing something you knew that you shouldn't do? Like if we had a time machine, like a DeLorean, you'd go back and talk some sense into you. Because there was that moment where you did the thing, you went on the date, you signed the papers, you whatever, and and you knew, like deep in your soul you knew, this is something I shouldn't be doing and you did it anyway. You knew because the Bible told you, you knew because your mama told you, your pastor told you, your mentor told you. If you had simply done what you knew you should do, isn't it true you never would have gotten in that trouble with that relationship, with that business deal? with those finances. I mean, if we're honest, our souls would be much better conditioned today if years ago we'd been doers and not just hearers. And we can't go back. But the good news is God meets us right in the middle of where we are right now. However messy your life, he meets you right here, right now. And he invites you to move forward and trust him about where life is found. So for you, it's like he knows how hard it is to stay in that relationship. He knows how hard it is to take responsibility for that thing that you did. He knows it's hard to apologize. He knows it's harder to forgive them after what they did to you. He he knows it's hard to write that letter or send that email. But he also knows that if you take those steps, you're moving in the direction of a better life and he's your heavenly father who loves you and who believes in you And who wants you to be blessed. He says when you do what your faith tells you to do, blessings follow. You'll partner with God to heal and preserve and restore your soul. So the question for us today as we land is is simply this. Would you be willing to take your next step? Would you be willing to take your next step? For some of you, this is your first time back in church. And you've been out for a long time. And something happened, something changed, something in you, something in life circumstance, and you're back. If that's you, we're thrilled you're here. Maybe your next step is you just need to come back and hear some more, right? Maybe this is a message that you've never internalized. You just need to come back next week, and by the way, it's going to be intense. Oh, Jack, come on! That joke still didn't work. That's okay. Maybe that's you. You're not ready to do it yet. Just come back and hear. For some of you, uh, you would say, "Man, you've been hearing and arguing with God for years, and for you, it's about receiving." It's it's like you would say to God, "God, I'm not ready to do yet, but I've done arguing with you. You're right. I'm in rebellion." I receive it, please bring me to a place where I can actually do it. And for the rest of us, um, it's time to get down to doing. It's time we write the letter or catch up on our child support or ask for forgiveness or drive over and, and have that awkward conversation or confess that we're not the parent that we really know we should be. It's time we get up earlier and spend time with God. So we've been pushing it off. We know we should. It's time we finally get baptized. I mean, a lot of us would say, you know, I said yes to Jesus. And I know he says that I should get baptized. I, I just feel like that's a big deal. And I'm not ready. But you've been saying that for like a decade. And, and if that's you, maybe your next step is to go public with your faith. To, to get in front of this community and, and just say, I believe in Jesus. And this is what he's done in my life, and this is what he ho- I hope he continues to do in my life. When we, as you know, we have a baptism service coming on Sunday, June 24th, out in the tent, which should be really, really fun. A few have already signed up to do this. Uh, but if that's you, send Randy an email, just randy at keystonecc.org, and we'll reach out to you and have a conversation. But that, that, maybe, that's, maybe that's your next step. Friends, uh, it's time we start doing what we know we should do. Because when we do, God begins to bless our lives in ways that he just can't when we're living in rebellion. After 20 years as a pastor, I'm convinced, this is our big idea for today, that faith really is intended to transform your life here and now. Would you stand? I'll close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us when we are unlovable. Thank you for continuing to invite us, even though we continue to say no. Thank you for preserving this ancient letter, and we confess that the truth in it reads us as we read it. And um, so I pray for all of my friends in this place today that whatever their next step is, I pray they would have the courage to take it. And as they do, I pray that they would find you faithful. And even with that first step, they might begin to sense that the healing of their soul has begun. So we bless you. We thank you. We love you and desire to love you more. In the matchless name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray everyone said amen. Friends, go in peace. We'll see you next week.